Talk Radio Show brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2.com. Today we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Uh, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host for the next hour. In case you're uh, tuning in uh, to our show here for the first time, the Talent Talk radio show features a pretty wide range of guests who are uniquely talented and care about talent themselves. So in this show, we talk about talent in both those ways. First, as it relates to success and uncovering the secrets of really talented people. And second, focusing on talent in relation to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates today. We also dive into how people motivate their staff, uh, culture, and how they find the best ways uh, to move their companies forward. So hopefully that makes sense. We, we really focus on the word talent and uh, two different meanings in the business world. And we look to explore those two areas here uh, every week at 1 o'clock on Tuesdays at the Talent Talk Radio Show uh, studio. So my guests include CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR executives, coaches, and from all different types of industries. And when I'm at networking events or industry conferences, I have the privilege of meeting these inspiring leaders. And I created this forum to allow you to listen into our dialogue and hopefully learn some practical advice that will impact your own career in a positive way. Before I get to my guests today, I want to thank those of you tuning in live don't forget, you can submit your questions to my guests via Twitter. Just tweet your questions to add PeopleG2. Use the hashtag TalentTalk. My producer, Mike, will uh, feed me the best questions, and we'll try to work them into the show. Don't forget, you can also listen to the show via our podcast, which is the way most people tune in, uh, whether on the treadmill or they're uh, listening in the car. Uh, just uh, open up that uh, iPhone or whatever you have and open up your podcast uh, feature, and you can join the almost 19,000 people who have tuned in to listen uh, to past shows, and we really appreciate uh, your support and tuning in to listen. So uh, with that said, let's get today's show started. My my guests today are uh, Jason Averbrook, the Chief Business Innovation Officer of Aperio, and uh, Mark Concannon, the President of Concannon Business Consulting. Mark will be joining me in the second half of the show, so let me welcome my first guest. Jason, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks very much, Chris. How are you? Good. I'm doing well. So tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe your road uh, to, to the current company you're with now and, of course, uh, what you're doing with your, your current company, Aperio. Yeah, great. Thanks. So thanks for having me once again. Um, you know, as you said, my name is Jason Averbrook, and my role at Aperio is my title is Chief Business Innovation Officer. And what I do here at Aperio is really help organizations, A, rethink or reimagine how they're thinking about talent and workforce-related issues today um, as the world continues to change and as we continue to see these massive tectonic shifts in how technology and people work together. Um, before Aperio, I started a company called Knowledge Infusion, which Aperio acquired. had that company for about eight years. Before that, it's been eight years or so at PeopleSoft, which is one of the leaders in the HR ERP software space, and before that with Ceridian Corporation. So spent the last 20-plus years working in at the intersection between where people, process, and technology, you know, come together when it comes to HR and talent-related issues. So you have you know, kind of a long uh, 
professional history of working in HR and in HR technology specifically. Is there anything specific about working, let's say, for example, as the chief business innovation officer now, you know, that's different than some of your other experiences, you know, kind of all related in that HR tech, uh, you know, bow? You know, I think that the biggest thing right now, Chris, is that, you know, what the what the world is in need of is this concept of reimagination. The innovation, you know, in my title is not just why I say that, but, you know, we as an HR profession, in my humble opinion, have been uh, doing the same thing for the last five decades um, when it comes to technology, HR being one of the quote-unquote oldest professions in the world. You know, whether we've been working with a mainframe or a DOS or a Windows or a client server application or even first-generation Internet applications, we've pretty much been doing the same thing, enough to get someone paid. And really what the world begs of us today is a shift in that to how do we think about how do we get the right talent, how do we keep our talent, motivate our talent, and incent talent in a way that matches where consumerism is in the outside world of business. So we're not using paper forms. We're not doing stupid HR processes. We're doing things that are meaningful to the employees and managers that tie back into direct business value to a company. So I think that the biggest thing for me that's changed and what the biggest change now is working with organizations and finding the people in organizations who have that desire to break glass or, you know, I like to call them OSMs or moments or it's like, wow, Maybe the performance review or maybe the requisition process that we've been using for the last 20 years isn't working anymore, and we need to think about something different. So you kind of brought up a couple different uh, things there that you're dealing with and you see clients dealing with. Um, so what do you kind of see as maybe the biggest challenge that the companies you're working with are really facing? The biggest challenge the companies I'm working with are facing is inertia. You know, and when I say inertia, is they're stuck. Um, you know, unless there's that change agent, unless there's that business driver, unless there's that person that's willing to risk their career and risk their job on, you know, sticking their neck out and saying, there's different ways to do this. You know, the world has changed. You know, the digital natives are now in the world compared to the digital immigrants. What they value is different. How they're used to working is different, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Unless there's someone willing to do that, what usually happens is these projects die on the vine and nothing goes anywhere. Or people will buy a new piece of technology or think they're putting in a new process only to find out that people still say the process isn't any good, A, and B, no one's using the, uh, you know, using the technology. So, you know, I'd say inertia is the biggest challenge, and I'd say that going forward, the thing that will differentiate companies from one another is their ability to kill inertia, especially when we look at talent and talent around that workforce. So then how does your company really achieve its goal of helping organizations realize that true value of their work, workforce then? So, I mean, we're constantly pushing people. I mean, I'm in New York City today working with an organization, pushing them to think different, helping them realize that LinkedIn knows more about their people than they do, which means if LinkedIn knows more about their people than they do, their competition knows more about their people than they do. If their competition knows more about their people than they do, their competition has a much greater chance of uh, recruiting those people away, creating development opportunities, and getting those people, you know, getting those skills that they need. So, you know, where our organization comes into play is, A, pushing people to say, guys, don't just do things because it's always been done this way, and don't just do things because it's an HR process, but really do something that, that has business buy-in and business support 
And that business buy-in and business support means that I'm working with business people, not HR people, to come up with what those future processes are and then understand how the technology enable them. Knowing the technology itself won't fix the issue. You know, in any talent management uh, strategy, talent management technology project, you know, there's three pieces, people, process, and technology. And usually it's about 45% people, 45% process, and 10% technology. What we do is that 90% of people and process work, you know, up front to get people thinking different, realizing the change and the culture change that's going to go into it, and then, and only then, jumping into the technology that's going to help enable that. So what you're saying is we can't just buy a $50 million piece of software and everything will be fine? You know, unfortunately, that's <laughs> two generations worth of people have done that, which is why, you know, most HR systems, what they're doing is getting people paid. And, you know, when you ask people, hey, where's all your talent data? They'll say, well, it's in the recruiting system or in LinkedIn or we have no reason to have that in our core HR system. So, you know, the the fact that I know more about my hard asset, the fact that I know more about my laptop that's company issued than I do about my people, you know, I've spent more money on my $500 asset than I have on the value of a person because all I've done is bought the technology without thinking about people and process differently, that's been the sort of the reason that the industry is at the point that it's in today. What do you really see as that driving force behind uh, Imperial's success then? Well, I mean, the driving force behind Imperial's success is really threefold. I'd say the first is making sure that organizations start with a strategy and don't just jump into the technology. The minute you buy a piece of cloud or software as a service technology today in the talent management space. You know, the minute you sign a contract, the clock starts ticking. And usually when the clock starts ticking, people say, oh, let's configure, let's configure, let's configure, let's configure, without really understanding what it is that they want to do. The the first thing that I'd say that drives our success is helping organizations come up with a strategy and saying, hey, what is my talent management strategy? Am I going to buy talent? Am I going to build my talent? Do I have the talent? Or maybe I should crowdsource my talent and break up the old concept of job realizing that job and disintegration of job is one of the key topics in the world today. The second thing I'd say drives our success is the focus on how do we actually help organizations think about things in processes, not modules. I always use the example of Amazon. If I was buying a book on Amazon and I went to click the buy button and all of a sudden it said this module is not implemented yet, what would I do? I'd abandon and go buy it somewhere else. The same thing happens with my people processes. If I've got modules implemented, but they don't connect to each other, or there's not a user experience that goes process to process to process, my people abandon, and they don't complete them. So thinking process, not module, would be the second. And then the third would be the whole concept of the cloud. And just not to make this too big of a technology play or pitch, but organizations who are still maintaining servers and database administrators and customizing software and things like that, they don't have time to do some of this people and process work that's required in order to truly drive success in, in, in where organizations need or are trying to get to today. You know, so I'd say it's those three things. A, start with strategy. B, think about processes, not modules. And then three, really embrace the cloud and the value that the as-a-service software as a service, the service that those vendors are providing you gets you out of the customization business and out of the database administration business and really into the talent business because now you're going to have time to focus on the talent issue. 
Well, that's a great point. So, you know, when you look at how your company or your clients or, or any other company out there is kind of evaluating uh, their, the success in anything they're doing, do you, do you kind of have a formula on how you evaluate success? You know, it's a, that's a brilliant question. And I'll tell you, the one of the problems I have with how organizations evaluate success is they try to have a formula as to how they evaluate success that they try to take from someone else. So hopefully my response makes sense there. You know, my, what, what I consider success is going to be different than what company B considers success, which is different than what company C considers success. Mm-hmm. You know, I was with a, a CEO of a big company a couple of weeks ago who, you know, we talked about reducing time to fill in the organization by 37%. He said, so what? You know, and I said, well, we've reduced the time to fill from 52 days to 37 days. And he said, 37 days to fill a job? That's terrible. You know, here I'm celebrating a success. And he's saying it's terrible. He said, I want to know what the business value is that that's bringing me. So I'd say that the the biggest win for any organization to be able to measure their success is to understand what are the levers and the, the metrics and the dials that actually drive the business. So if it's more salespeople, if it's more billable hours from a services standpoint, if it's the ability to produce more um, goods that I'm manufacturing, whatever my whatever those dials are that the rest of the business looks at as what creates success, the closer I can tie my talent and my HR goals to those, the better I'm going to be able to correlate what I'm doing from a talent standpoint with the business and the more value the business is actually going to see for my initiative. So, yeah, I'm a firm believer in non-standard metrics, and I'm a firm believer in that every organization needs to come up with the things that tie back to their specific corporate goals and objectives. Yeah, that's great advice. I mean, have, understanding what it is for your you know customized set of results or a customized plan on what's going to be considered success is huge, and. I think I'm I mean, you know, it's really hard because, I mean, so many people say, hey, just give us best practice. Right. You know, give us best practice. Give us best practice. I'm like, I can give you best practice all day long. But, you know, if that best practice doesn't match your company's business objectives, um, you know, it, it's not going to do you any good. The other thing that's really fascinating in the technology space is a lot of the metric that people use to determine whether or not their project is successful is whether they make it to go live. <laughs> you know, and, you know, a, a right. go-live party is a, you know, big deal. Let's have a go-live party and you see how many people, how much weight people have gained and who's gotten married and divorced during the implementation. The go-live party is actually when it starts. That's when I actually should start using the tools to start showing my impact and start celebrating successes. So mm-hmm. it's changing that lens from let's not just go live. Let's really think about what we're going to use these tools to measure. Yeah, sometimes you need to come up with those. Make sure you come up with those uh, goals or those evaluation points before you start the project because I know a lot of people will make that you know they'll make the evaluation after they're done and that's pretty hard I mean what are you can you know for everyone involved you're pretty much a self-fulfilling prophecy oh it was successful but if you come up with those standards before you start the project sometimes that can really show you a much clearer path to success or failure when you when you reach that go live party or that finish line whatever it is no, you, you have to. You have to start, and you have to build those measures into your systems. You know, if I want to measure how many people I recruited from UConn because, you know, it's the school that won the uh, the NCAA championship, you know, I can't have Huskies and I can't have UConn and I can't have Connecticut as my table values. I have to have a consistent set of values 
so that my reports all look the same out of my system. Uh, so if I know that's what I want to measure, that's great. If I don't know that's what I want to measure, more than likely I implemented the system wrong, and I'm never going to get to where I need to get to. So I want to turn a little bit to, to kind of more what's happening internally over at your company. Maybe you could talk a little bit about what you feel are the values that are kind of a part of your company's culture, and kind of the second part of that is you know, how do you effectively communicate those those values to your uh, employees? So within Imperio, we look at, I mean, the way that we drive talent, the way we look at talent is we think about it in the you know, form of gray matter and say, hey, we have, you know, we have, we look at people and A, their intelligence levels and B, what they bring, but also we bear, we spend a lot of time on core values and what are the core values that they bring to the table? Do those core values match our core values? Make sure that, that we do a thorough, thorough interview process to make sure that uh, more than one person and more than multiple managers are meeting those people, and we're constantly looking at the fun factor. Um, you know, our CEO, Chris Barbin, who's a you know, brilliant leader, one of the things that he says frequently is, you know, you know, we look at something called the fun factor, and are people having fun at work? You know, and if people aren't having fun at work, at least eight out of ten days, you know, maybe they're in the wrong job. So we're constantly looking at team, we're constantly looking at fun, and the other thing that's really fascinating about where where we are as an organization is, you know, we are um, we are remote. I mean, we have you know we have a couple offices, but you know for the most part we're remote. So we use Google technology, we use Citrix GoToMeeting technology, we use collaborative um, badging and points to give people through Salesforce.com. We use all of these technologies ourselves to make sure that people can work wherever they are, when they need to, how they need to, whether it be our offshore facility in Jaipur, whether it be our onshore facility in Indianapolis, or whether it be from all of our, you know, thousand people's homes. Everyone is connected all the time. We have company meetings every two weeks to keep people connected. So that alignment of goals, the scorecard that we review every two weeks, all of those things, we, we keep people very, very aligned. And I think that that's one of the big reasons that people stay with our organization is because, A, they're aligned, B, they know exactly how they contribute to the organization's success, and C, they know that there's a uh, growth plan and development plan for them long term. Well, it's clear you uh, certainly have a very clear understanding of uh, the type of leader that you are and that you want to be, uh, you know, going forward. And sounds like there's been some, you mentioned the CEO, but there may have also been some other people in your life you know, along your, your journey here in your career that maybe really impacted you or maybe you could identify as being someone who really, you know, helped you along to become the person you are. Do you, does anyone come to mind when I ask you that question? Oh, holy cow. So, you know, what's really interesting, I just finished my uh, I just finished my first book that will be coming out in uh, about six weeks or so, and I finished the acknowledgement section the other night. But, I mean, there was, there, there's so many people that drive your, you know, that you look back on to drive your success. It's amazing. But, I mean, a few people individually, a great thought leader in the HR and HR technology space, Naomi Bloom. Naomi has helped me a ton in really understanding the history of the space so that I can help make sure that the same mistakes, you know, don't happen over and over again. You, you look at the some of the major HR leaders that I've worked with and I've had the opportunity to work with over the time, CHROs of Fortune 100 and 500 companies that constantly are teaching me and our organization that, you know, okay is not good enough. We need to make sure that we know what we're going to be great at and what it's okay to be okay at and make sure that we're truly focused and have a lens on that. 
You know, and I think that the, one of the, I mean, the, the other interesting way I'm going to answer this question is that one of the greatest influences on my life right now are my two kids. And my two kids are nine and six, and they're the examples of digital natives. Not myself, a digital immigrant, a digital native. They're digital natives. And they have a completely different view on the world than I do. And one of the things that I learn from them constantly is watch them, watch how they look at things and say, wow, this, they personify what the workforce is going to look like going forward. And every client that I work with, every client we work with, we need to have that kind of a worker in mind as we're designing their systems and processes because that new age of worker looks nothing like my age of worker. Sure. Yeah, I mean, with the ever-changing, uh, rapidly changing uh, workforce and how people want to be uh, interacted with, communicated with, certainly are a lot of challenges there. So maybe what advice would you have for our listeners looking to develop the talent that they do have? You know, How do they get the most out of each person? You know, to, to me, the, the, the biggest the way to do that is to, I mean, there's a, there's a great author. I could, there's another person that's influenced my life, a gentleman named Steve Farber. Steve Farber has a great book called Greater Than Yourself. And you know, one of the goals and constants about that book is how do you build people and, and grow people to be greater than you? And I think that one of the things that's important from a leadership standpoint, at least to me, is to leverage people for their strengths and realize that you need people that are greater than you around you at almost all times. It's not a situation where you're trying to build people who are, uh, you know, less than you so that you can control them. It's building a stable of people that are greater than you so that you're continuing to think about, wow, uh, you know, I'm now I have this amazing group of talent around me and it gives me an ability to unleash and do amazing things. So, you know, to me, it's all about building a team and it's all about making sure that you have a bunch of people who are smarter than you. And if you do that and are providing them the opportunities to continue to evolve, it's, it, I think it's uh, endless where the business possibilities will take you. And one of our uh, favorite questions to ask on the show, and I'm sure you're going to have a good answer for us because it sounds like you do quite a bit of reading, but that is, what are you reading right now? Maybe you can tell us a little bit about that book. So, uh, you know, besides the reading I'm doing with my children, uh, you know, their bedtime reading, uh, which is always interesting, you know, one of the, the most fascinating books I'm reading currently is a book called The Everything Store by Jeff Bezos, you know, the founder of Amazon, of course. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I find fascinating about Jeff Bezos and that, that whole story of Amazon is the countless, countless, countless numbers of innovation and hitting their head against the wall, yet coming back swinging that that organization has done to truly transform the world and truly kill so many competitors. I mean, I think that if you look at Amazon, they have killed more competitors in a short period of time than any company has ever done in its life. The book Everything Store by Jeff, about Jeff Bezos, about Amazon, is a book I recommend to anyone because it talks about the value of bringing talent with you as you go along, having the right talent at various points of the company's growth and the company's cycle, and never giving up and constantly thinking about innovation. You bring up a really good point because I was just thinking, if I decided I was mad at Amazon tomorrow or, the, or they disappeared, I don't even know where I would go. Like, Who is really a competitor for them? I mean, there are certainly smaller sites that maybe sell particular, more niche things, 
but where can you go to get a complete? I mean, you can find anything on Amazon. Just about, just about anything can be purchased. Right. You know, which is why I think the you know, the name of the book, the Everything Store, is so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've had numerous examples of companies that have had strangleholds on the market. You know, the one that I always relate to, which is going to show my age, is the Sony Walkman. You know, everyone had a Walkman. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe they had an off-brand of a Walkman, but they still called it a Walkman. Right. I mean, it was the brand name. And all of a sudden, the Apple took their market. Um, you know, Sony should be ashamed forever because of that. You know, if we take a look at Amazon, Amazon is in that same position. I mean, they are the brand name of online retailing right now. You know, that's hard to keep. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do. But the book gives great insight as to how they plan to keep it. You know, and, and I'll be curious, just like the rest of us, is to see if they'll always have that kind of a lead that yeah. you uh, you know just that you just talked about. So, uh, Jason, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. And uh, the last question I want to make sure we ask you is, how can people reach out if they were interested in learning more about you or your company? Yeah, so great quick question. So, you know, you can follow me directly on Twitter with, at, at Jason Averbook, which is Jason Averbook, A-V-E-R-B-O-O-K. Uh, you can send me an email at javerbook at com, or just visit our website, Aperio, A-P-P-I-R-I-O, dot com for more information about our company. Well, Jake, Jason, thank you so much for being on the show today. Uh, hopefully we can have you come back uh, at some point and give us an update on how you're doing. And uh, it was a real Anytime, pleasure. Anytime, would love to. Real pleasure having you. Up next... Thanks so much for the invitation. Oh, you're, our pleasure. So up next we have uh, Mark uh, Concannon coming up uh, after this quick commercial break. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. This is the sound of a flat-screen television hurled off a building. Now the new bike your kid wants. These are the things you could have all cast into oblivion. Because when you throw away money on wasted electricity, you throw away everything you could have bought with it. Use Energy Star light bulbs and appliances, and you could save hundreds of dollars a year. Saving energy saves you money. Learn more at energysavers.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. 
Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Just a quick reminder, you can subscribe to the podcast of this show or listen to past shows by visiting octalkradio.net and clicking on the Shows tab and clicking on Talent Talk. You can also visit our uh, new URL, talenttalkradio.com, where we have all of the shows posted there, and uh, along with the books that our um, uh, guests have been suggesting. You can also catch them there and also on the blog at peopleg2.com. You can click on the blog and get the radio uh, show recaps and uh, get everything you need. So far, we have a huge following. We talked about just about 19,000 of you have been tuning in to listen, and we really appreciate your support. My next guest is uh, Mark uh, Concannon, president of Concannon Business Consulting. Don't forget to tweet your questions live right now to Mark by sending them to at peopleg2, hashtag talent talk. We do get questions submitted to us, but they need to be really good ones for us to, to interrupt the process. So put your on your thinking caps and uh, try to try to stump Mark today. We'll see if we can do it. So, uh, Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your company, and maybe uh, your kind of your, your journey to uh, prior to to starting the company, and then you know kind of what you're doing now. Sure. So, I was fortunate enough early in my career to figure out that a lot of what challenges me and engages me is helping organizations solve their business problems. Um, early in my career, I had certain work in nonprofits. I did some work with some you know, recognizable brands, um, and I, I found that. My first step into an actual career ended up being with a small or mid-sized consultancy called Grant Thornton. Um, in that, I really thrived. And from there, my career took me through Arthur Anderson, took me to Tachi Consulting, and I had a lot of really good experiences with some strong mentors. And in that space, we had the opportunity, heavily focused on technology often, but to service uh, Fortune 100, Fortune 1000 companies. And through those experiences, I ended up building relationships based on my reputation of delivery and my ability to help find the right people to work on the right projects, to have the unique opportunity to open my consulting organization. Um, and in that action, I was able to bring along with me some of my relationships in the past and really establish uh, an organization that focused on my customers through my people mm-hmm. and allowed me to really create the culture and realize my beliefs in, in consulting. That's great. So with a company that works with business to really drive improvement through through the organization, what have you seen as some of the biggest hurdles that people face when considering organizational changes? The number one issue I believe I've watched run into again and again over, over the years of consulting is the continued commitment to that change. That ultimately becomes the real challenge. That while an organization up front will believe in the benefits they'll receive, and while they may be able to create the, the groundswell at the root, grassroots, they often get through the process part way and find it's, it's hard. It's very right. difficult to get that change realized. Yeah, you have people it's hard to do. You have people who are fighting against it, even sabotaging sometimes. Yes. Maybe the old process is just easier or feels better. It's comfortable. Right, it's comfortable even though, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like sitting in the mud. It's comfortable if you've been doing it for a long time, right? I mean, it may not be where you want to be, but... Yeah. Yeah. No different than think about in your personal life. You you work to change your workout routine. Getting it to happen may be good for a week or two, to, but to keep it consistent and see it through and realize your goals and then keep it after the goals, mm-hmm. very difficult. And it's no different for a large corporation. Yeah. It took quite a bit of mental coaxing to get me into the pool last <laughs> night for my workout, so I, I can understand that one. Exactly. <laughs> so when, uh, when talking with companies about change, you're essentially talking to them about kind of bringing in this new, maybe new company culture or a new 
uh, initiative that may impact their culture. So where do you find the, the change in culture to be to be more accepted at the management level or at the employee level, or maybe is it kind of case by case? So I think in general, the, the concept of whatever the change is tends to be well embraced at both levels as a concept. The practice of it, again, as you start pushing these organizations to actually realize this vision, we do find that it's it's the sustainment is more successful at the executive level because there's less for them to do day to day versus mm-hmm. the people being impacted actually changing the way they do their jobs to realize this new vision that's believed in becomes much harder right to our point earlier the comfort level is high so it's difficult for them to change what we then find later is often the executives are like well didn't we start that 6 months ago aren't we done yet even though it's a 2 year program mm-hmm. I'm kind of not understanding why we're still working on this. So they start to lose interest. So a lot of what we have to work with our clients on is to keep the energy level high, keep the right level of engagement for the executives, you know, make sure that the people understand when they're starting, that they're bought into and involved in the change at the, the grassroots level. So that when we can take advantage of that groundswell that may have been established and keep that momentum going throughout the full life cycle to get the change in place. Right. And maybe we could use uh, your own company's culture here as a little bit of a, case study and you can maybe kind of give us a little you know understanding of what you feel kind of drives your own company success because i know you you're, you're number three on the fastest growing private companies listed in the Orange county business journal congratulations on that thank you um so certainly doing something right so maybe maybe you can kind of give us a little insight there sure so we're in a unique position um compared to our clients right our clients tend to be organizations that build something or provide um, global services it's a very large scale activity our world is much smaller scale and about the individual that we put in at our client site so my objective is my people are first for me i try to work very hard to understand each individual's goals and objectives in their careers and how to help them you know we uh, very often in the news these days we talk about work life balance and the reality i think um the economist or harvard business review recently had an article about it's not about balance, but about trade-offs. And that's our reality, right? The fact is, if, if we're at work eight hours, you can't be doing something else. Those are the same eight hours. Mm-hmm. So I try to make sure we're finding ways my people can get reward for their investment of their time, that, that the after hours, uh, as best as possible, aren't um, overrun by work. The reality of our, our business often is, you know, we need to do more in in 10 hours or 12 hours than our clients uh, would reasonably expect. And so we have to be pushing ourselves hard. So I try to find ways to reward them. And in return, what I ask from them is the client has to come first, right? So in that way, we have uh, myself watching after the team, the team watching after the clients. And in the end, that's ultimately how the clients are satisfied with our delivery and with our individual people uh, performing for them. You know, when you look at your company, maybe from the eyes of, of your employees, what do you feel is the most important thing to them? You know, why do they choose to work for your firm? One of the major items, many of the folks on my team are ex, you know, big firms rather than naming names. I can just say they've right. spent time at a lot of the big organizations that are global and tens of thousands of people. Um, they've come to work with me because they still want that level of execution excellence, right? They still want to be proud of what they've done and they want to make sure they're proud of it at a company um, that is a Fortune 100. The second piece is, but they want to be involved, right? And that's a lot of, again, because I'm focused on trying to make them our priority as an organization, they're looking for that voice in our direction, that uh, feeling of engagement, and the reality of uh, they're not a piece of a machine and a cog, but rather an individual contributor, part of a team in a bigger picture. Mm-hmm. So then where do you go to look for some of these people? I mean, are you just picking them off the, the from the big boys or, or you know, going to universities or is it, you know, 
I'm thinking there might be a kind of a sweet spot for you then. It's actually a mix. Um, some of our best uh, team members actually are not ex-consultants from other organizations. They've actually come from industry. Um, some of our folks, our best uh, or, uh, individuals, are actually referrals we found from our existing staff. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of what's happened is as we gather together this team, it's, it tends to be people that are looking for some level of change, right? They're, they're looking to be part of something smaller so they're engaged part of servicing big organizations so they still have good brand on their resume for their future in the long term, but also that the challenges they're engaged in are meaningful. So we have been successful across many channels finding those people, the best of which has been referrals, which has been great. And, you know, so once you kind of get that talent in place, you know, the challenge can often be keeping them, right? Because if you found somebody great, you're probably wanted by somebody else as well. So there's lots of different things that people talk about that they do to really keep their talent with incentives or their culture you know what what do you guys really have in place where you think that kind of drives that home a piece of it for us is we have the luxury um that we're not so big yet that we have to treat everyone the same again they're not a cog in the machine so we have the fortunate position that we can during our recruitment process craft an approach that meets each individual's needs at some level i mean there's limits to that um, and then the, the key is keeping those promises, right? And that's so much of what we work hard on is finding ways to make sure that we know what's important to each individual. Uh, and to your point, we do have a number of people that are in heavy demand. A lot of what we've ended up with is we do um, a lot of work in what's called telematics, which is about connections with vehicles um, and allowing you to remote start or remote locate your vehicle, things like that. Um, it's a hot area right now. And so as such, yes, we are in heavy competition, not only to keep our people, but to bring in more with that kind of experience. Mm-hmm. And the biggest piece has just been maintaining that employee-first culture as best we can um, within the confines of the business world. So I see you brought a book in with you today, and it yes. may be in preparation for the question that we love to ask everyone, and, and that is, what are you reading right now? Definitely. Well, I think uh, one of the number one challenges I've had, uh, along with running a small business recently, is also I've got a one-year-old daughter at home. So I've been reading a lot of Peekaboo Forest recently. But, right. <laughs> um, outside of the personal realm, uh, I do spend a lot of time looking for things, everything from the Wall Street Journal to uh, Flipboard on, on Android to keep up with mm-hmm. social media and what's uh, hot with my contacts on LinkedIn, things like that. But most recently, we've actually begun to venture into leveraging um, the China con- uh, contacts to start bringing development capabilities um, into our offerings and such. I made my first trip over recently, and so I've begin, begun trying to get more understanding of their culture. The, again, because if, if the people are what's the priority for us in our teams, then we need to understand those people. Mm-hmm. And the cultures are so different between America and China. So I've been spending some time revisiting um, some of my studies from some years ago uh, and then working my way back up into more current topics. Uh, but right now I've got Evening Chats in Beijing by Perry Link. Um, he's a professor who spent some time um, over in China literally having evening chats with uh, Chinese citizens and understanding their viewpoint on the cultures, the motivation, the politics, what drives them. And it's really helped me have a better understanding of everything from our tech leads to our developers to the executives within our partner organizations and what motivates them and what they're looking for. Um, you hear many stories in the news about large organizations having challenges with consistency in the products delivered from China my experience is that's all about how you inter- integrate with them, what you ask of them, and how clear you are what you're asking, and then just keeping the relationships uh, solid. And we've gotten great success. Uh, we've, we've done work in the past uh, for myself through other big organizations 
leveraging resources offshore from other countries, we're finding great success with China, not only in keeping the rates more stable for our cost structure, but also in the consistency of what they deliver. It's actually what we ask for the first time, which has been wonderful. Hmm. Well, that, it sounds like a fascinating book. I mean, when you can break it down that way, where you're getting these different perspectives from someone on a very personal level, that can sometimes bring it home for you. And, you know, you th- just think about if someone tried to explain how we are culturally United States, it's vastly complex, regionally different, politically different. Um, you know, there are, are things I think we would all agree upon that are fairly similar, but, um, I mean, China's got to be the same way. I mean, this is not a small place. This is not a, you know, a, a country that, that you can put into a small category. I mean, they probably have the complexities. It might even dwarf us. I mean, I, I don't know, but it sounds like it would be an interesting, uh, a study. It is interesting, and I think it's fascinating. Um, in the two weeks I spent recently, just to visually see the investments they're making to build out the infrastructure. Um, to your point, it it is very impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we here in America are talking about trying to revamp our infrastructure. It's nothing compared to them building from scratch right now. Uh, mm-hmm. You watch skyscrapers going up and bullet trains in between the cities and, and a lot of their progress to try to, um, in their minds, catch up with us in some ways. But really, in some sense, they're leapfrogging in, right. in what they're doing for their people internally. Um, at the same time, allowing us to take advantage of their, their very intelligent, very capable individuals um, for delivering our services here in the States, which has been great. Well, that leapfrogging uh, idea is very interesting because there's been a lot of countries that you know they had no regular phone service and by the time they finally got around to it they were just given cell service right they just skipped an entire process of laying down cables to put in you know the old school phone and so i've been hearing that with china they're just have been now they're going in and actually doing it they're just skipping right to the best stuff and 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 avoiding what we have is you know laying fiber optic cables and all, I mean, all this stuff that's just layer upon layer upon layer that maybe is slowing us down a little bit too. I mean, maybe we can find a way to leapfrog. So that might be a topic for another show. <laughs> so uh, it sounds like you do quite a bit of, you know, work and trying to understand uh, different parts of your business and your, in your staff. So, you know, maybe what advice might you have for our listeners looking to develop the talent that they currently have? You know, how do they get the most out of each person? And so much of that um, is a balance, of course, of, between playing to their strengths and identifying the right weaknesses to build up. Definitely our focus is to try to make sure when we start, the recruiting process is so critical, of course, right? If you don't get in people that fit the culture and are, prior, are motivated by the right priorities, then you're going to end up with a strike in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of step one, is make sure you're investing in the people you should be. I think that's that's one of the areas that, um, as a consultancy, again, we have the luxury of um, having individuals that hit on many areas right up front. As you work through those individuals, though, to get the right ones to invest in, I believe um, so much of it is, again, understanding that person. What is it that motivates them? It is beyond uh, the work front. And um, what is it they go home to that they're so so motivated by? So many of us have some level of our motivation is what we do every day, which is why, especially in consulting, we give so much of our time to it. But at some level, you're doing it so you can enjoy something else, too. So understanding that piece, um, I, I believe, is always critical. I also believe that many corporations um, only provide lip service to the review processes on an annual basis. Mm-hmm. Many, especially of our clients that are very large, will have a structure. Every quarter you need to meet. Once a year you set a plan. Don't give it lip service. Do it. Actually spend that time with those resources, especially your top performers, and make sure that you're um, putting a plan together that actually moves towards their goals, but also make sure they understand those goals need to align with the company. I think too often there are managers that will allow 
um, the priorities of the individual to not contribute to the whole, uh, which of course um, doesn't help the business, right? So you've got to make mm-hmm. sure you're striking that balance. Yeah, it's got to be a good balance. And it's fine for them to have some goals in there that are maybe not on there, but it can't be their focus, right? So uh, yeah, it sounds like you've had quite a bit of um, maybe sort of good influences or experiences where other people have had a, an impact on you and the kind of leader you are. Is there anyone you can think about in your past that you might share with us as kind of being a really important part of the foundation of who you are today? Sure. One of the easy answers for all of us typically is our parents play some role, right? So of sure. course, uh, my father was a heavy influence on me. Um, he spent his whole career uh, servicing DuPont um, as an engineer. And so a very different world, but part of corporate America um, and, and taught me a lot of the lessons about no matter what your role, staying focused on the details, take, caring about the people, um, and making sure that you keep your promises are so much of what um, he focused on. And then I had the, the fortunate um, role with two mentors in my career who are both practice leaders, um, one of which has been fortunate enough to retire a little early, the other is still um, a global partner at a, a big organization. And they, they taught me a lot of the nuances to consulting. Right, So much of it is is the promise you make when you start, um, but a lot of it is making sure that promise is kept to the client's expectation, which sometimes may be more than you intended. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, so much of making sure that in our, our business world, our business life every day, um, our success is only carried by the people around us, right? So much of the business world is about the people and, and about, um, our efforts to see them successful. I had heard your uh, last guest, uh, mention about making sure the people around you are better than you. I couldn't agree more. It's so important, um, for us, not only for, our relationship inside of an organization we can control. So for example, my team, I work very hard to find people that are better at me and things. Um, that's so much of what will make us successful as a group, but also my clients, if I can help them um, be more successful and, and better at their jobs. Um, I believe that's a big piece of what makes us successful as well. How much of what your company does is kind of requires you to get creative and, and to brainstorm to solve these problems that you're being brought in to do. I mean, I think maybe sometimes people, might think about consulting as coming up with a particular idea or a particular plan. Um, but I, I think it's probably a little more muddy than that. It's probably a bit more complicated. You're coming in there and you're having to solve lots of problems to maybe reach a particular initiative. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that process. Couldn't agree more. And that's part of what I believe my people like about our approach to serving our clients. You know, of course, we have methodologies, right? A piece of any good consultancy, you have to have um, a standard answer, but that is not the whole answer. Um, to your point, you need to be able to think outside the box because the standard answer, uh, in the end, doesn't apply to everything. So part of what we work on is you know, my background isn't just one industry, right? We've I've spent time in oil and gas and consumer packaged goods and high tech and manufacturing. So I've seen similar problems in many different places. And that's a piece of the creative process, of course, is drawing back on what you've seen, drawing parallels to the current challenge at hand, and then finding a way to maybe apply a piece of what you've seen, a piece of the standard answer, but more importantly, thinking outside that box. And and where you do that and how you do that can be a little varied. Um, sometimes a great idea can, can hit you when you're playing volleyball on a Saturday, and, and sometimes it's because you pulled together uh, the right group of people and make sure that no good idea was set aside or no idea was set aside, right? Let's make sure we evaluate each idea. Um, and so much of, of that process of bringing the, the smart people together, uh, encouraging them to think outside the box, creating that safe environment is something that results in uh, many great ideas that do solve critical mm-hmm. problems. And another piece is that there's, there's no specific issue or, or risk 
that's too small, you need to make sure that uh, as it ties into the bigger picture, you've identified it and worked on what are the options to resolve it. When you brought up a great uh, idea there about uh, a safe environment, and I heard someone last night on TV say, you know, relaxation generally brings creativity and tension generally blocks it. And I think people forget about allowing their staff that opportunity to be creative and to brainstorm in opportunities that aren't necessarily the, oh, you know, the crap just hit the fan. Now we need to figure out what the problem is instead of at a moment in time when it's not the problem. How do you think about these things ahead of time? How do you flush them out when it's, you know, not crunch time? I couldn't agree more. One of the number one challenges that we watch our, our clients face is they're in firefighting mode constantly. Right. Right. And especially after um, the economy challenges we've all had over the last few years and turning back around, there's still pressure to keep your headcount down, your costs down. And as a result, we're still understaffed many times um, within within my clients. Um, and that's often while they'll engage us to help us help them get um, through the understaffed challenge and, and solve the problems the, the way they would or better um, based on their guidance to us. But a big piece of that is also. You, you need to force yourself to get out of the firefighting mode because to mm-hmm. your point, the longer you're stressed, the longer you're not thinking creatively, the longer you're not finding the best way to solve the problem. Right. Well, Mark, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show today. Uh, maybe you could let our listeners know how they can reach out to you or your company if they're interested in learning more. Sure. Best way to, to reach us is uh, go to our website at uh, concanonbc.com. And uh, on there, there's phone numbers and emails and would certainly welcome contact. And just so everyone's clear, it's C-O-N-C-A-N-N-O-N, not with a K, even though it sounds like a con, like, a, like, like the wrath of con, right? right? <laughs> not that uh, exciting. <laughs> uh, but with a C. So uh, hopefully you can come back and give us an update at some point. We really uh, enjoyed having you on the show. Uh, tune in next week at the same time, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for Talent Talk, brought to you by People G2. Uh, next week, I know we'll have uh, Sam Menon of uh, 295 International. I think I met out of Inc., uh, 5,000 event and uh, and uh, at least one other guest that will announce at a later date. It'd be a surprise. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio Show brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping their clients manage their human capital 